Today we're continuing our series in the book of Colossians. We're in Colossians chapter 1, the very last part of that chapter. Today I want to preach on verses 24 through 29 of Colossians 1. You'll find this on your pew Bible on page 1832. Let me read verses 24 to 29. Paul says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of His body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill... Now, you could probably better translate this word as complete. To complete the Word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to His saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to His working, which works in me mightily. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray you will illumine this passage of Scripture to our hearts and give us your insight and understanding and its application to us. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Well, you may have been shocked by this initial reading of this passage of Scripture because it says that Paul is filling up in his flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Well, what I want to do before I jump into this text, I may spend a majority of my time simply preparing you for this text this morning. What I want to do is give you a blueprint in your mind, an illustration from the Old Testament of really what's happening here. And with that illustration from the Old Testament, then we can grab this passage of Scripture and I think things will fall into place and make sense for us. Here is the illustration. It's basic and it's very simple. It's the Exodus in the Old Testament. I want to break the Exodus down into three parts for you. The first part of the Exodus, remember, was, you can call it their salvation from Egypt, or salvation from Pharaoh, or their deliverance from Pharaoh, or their rescue from Pharaoh. And what was that big means of salvation or deliverance was the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. Whenever they put that blood of the lamb, the sacrifice, and slayed that lamb, and put the blood on the doorpost, the angel of death passed over their houses, and that, was, that initiated their deliverance, or their salvation, their, their saving from the grip of Pharaoh. That's the first part of the Exodus, which is very memorable and very obvious. The second part of the Exodus I want to explain today are the 40 years of tribulation in the wilderness. That's a 
That's a short phrase for a long summary of a, a, a summary of a lot of passages of Scripture. They went through a lot of sufferings in the wilderness. God's army of Israelites, His, His people, suffered a lot in the sense of this. They went through some times of hunger, some times of thirst. They had a long journey. But they also faced some Amalekites, some Moabites, and some Canaanites along the way. But let me tell you this. Those were not the real source of their sufferings or their tribulations. The real sufferings and the source of their tribulations and their afflictions was from themselves. They, many of them, simply wanted to go back to Egypt. If they would have just went straight to the promised land where the Canaanites were, it would have been easy. God would have wiped them out, but they became cowards. They became their own worst enemies. And so a lot of the tribulations in the wilderness that they suffered was a result of their own disobedience. But at the end of that 40-year period, Moses had a goal before that end. He would write down the law of Moses, excuse me, the law of God, on a second form called the book of Deuteronomy. He wrote it again a second time, and he applied it to the people. He wanted to finish the Bible for his generation. Up to Moses' generation, the Bible consisted of just simply the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so when Moses completed the Bible for that generation, the Bible up to that point, his, the, jo- the generation of Joshua had a complete five books. They can go into the promised land and apply the law of God. This leads us to the third stage of the Exodus event. I'm, I'm lumping all this together. And that is after the tribulation of the wilderness, after the hardships and the persecution sufferings and everything they went through in the wilderness, what was the next phase? They entered the promised land under Joshua. They entered the promised land and they have conquest and they conquer the land. And remember Joshua's name, what it means in the New Testament is translated as Jesus. So there's three phases that you can summarize that whole course of history There's the slaying of the Passover lamb that initiates their deliverance. There's the tribulations in the wilderness. They become their own worst enemies. And Moses wants to complete the first five books of the Bible for that generation. And then thirdly, they enter into the promised land and have conquest under Joshua. This three-stage paradigm is what happens in a very clear way during the time of Jesus and His apostles in the first generation. And this paradigm is going to help, you ex- help us explain why some of these passages of Scripture do uniquely apply to Paul that I just read in Colossians chapter 1. How does this apply in the New Testament exodus? In the New Testament, whenever Jesus Christ was on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Literally, in the book of Luke, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah show up with Jesus. And they're speaking about something. And they ask, what are you speaking about? And that's what the, the apostles were thinking. Luke tells us that Jesus, Moses, and Elijah were speaking about the exodus that he was going to accomplish in Jerusalem. 
So that's the first stage of the New Testament exodus. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Obviously, that's A.D. 30. That's the death and the resurrection. He is the fulfillment of the Passover Lamb. That's the first stage of the New Testament exodus. The second stage of the New Testament exodus, just like you had the tribulations of the wilderness for 40 years during the time of Moses, you had the tribulation of the apostles for 40 years after the death of Jesus Christ. Let me refer to this and explain this a little bit more in detail, this second stage. Jesus warned His own apostles about this time, that, that time of tribulation. In Matthew 24, verse 9, He said, They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for My name's sake. In verse 21 of that chapter, Matthew 24, He says, Then there will be a great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. So he's telling his apostles they're going to go through the great tribulation. John, later John in the book of Revelation, he will have a vision of those who persevere and who are martyred during that great tribulation during the time of the apostles. This is the vision he sees and he hears. In Revelation chapter 6, God told the dead souls. In Revelation chapter 6, they're the dead souls from the Old Testament. And he said to them in verse 11, he said, y'all need to wait a little while longer until the number of those who would be killed are completed. In the very next chapter, you see that number. The number is figuratively... 144,000 martyrs. They are killed. That figurative number completes the number of those under the altar who will be martyred. And John sees a vision of what they are like in heaven after they are killed. And it says this in in chapter 7. These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of of the Lamb. I'm giving you a synopsis of what Jesus says, what John envisions in the book of Revelation. They're all speaking about the same thing, that the apostolic generation is going to go through what Jesus predicted. They're going to go through this great tribulation. And also, one of the goals during this time of tribulation and hardship of the apostles is to finish the Bible. Just like Moses had an intent on finishing the first, or editing, I would say. He edited the book of Genesis because a lot of Genesis was already written before the time of Moses. And he he finished editing Genesis and completing the other first five books of the Bible. That was Moses during the time, the tribulation, the wilderness. Even so, the apostles, as soon as Jesus was resurrected from the dead and ascended into heaven, they got busy writing the Bible. You have evidence of this in Acts chapter 6, verse 2. It says, the the apostle said, It's not desirable that we should leave the Word of God to serve tables. What they mean there in that context, that Matthew is starting to write Matthew's Gospel. And they're starting to write down the Word of God in the time period of the apostles. Before Peter's death, in 2 Peter... Chapter 1, verse 21. He's speaking about what happened 
about 40 years earlier, in 38, around 30 AD, he says, holy men of God, they spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. He's given a commentary there on the New Testament church writing down the Bible and the inspiration and the origin of Scripture coming from God. That's in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. And also the Apostle Paul, before his death in the 60s A.D., He's chiefly concerned in 2 Timothy about compiling a book together with manuscripts, these manuscripts that they have written. And on the front and the back of that book of manuscripts, Paul wants to bind them together under, with a jacket or a cloak to keep these manuscripts together. And this is why he told Timothy in that letter, he says, go bring that cloak, which is a book jacket, Get that book jacket that I left with Carpus at Troas and bring it with you and bring the scrolls and the manuscripts. Paul is taking this scroll, unfolding it, cutting it, making manuscripts and making a book cover, a jacket with a, with a, a it's called a cloak. This book right here has a cloak, the front and the back. Paul is making something that we have in our hand, and we call it the Bible. That's what Paul is concerned about in 2 Timothy. All this is going on during the hardship times of the apostles. So, the New Testament exodus had the first stage, the inauguration with Jesus' sacrifice. The second stage is the tribulation of the apostles where they had to complete the Bible within that 40-year period. What happens in the third stage? Well, just like Joshua conquers the promised land, now Jesus is now conquering the world. Jesus is now spreading His gospel throughout every place on the earth. What was the promised land there in Old Testament Judaism well, the earth is now the promised land, so to speak, because the meek shall inherit the earth. Okay, So that's the vision, the conquest of Jesus going out with the army of, armies of heaven there in the latter part of the book of Revelation. Now, with this three-stage point, you can now make sense of this brief passage of Scripture I read to you in Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, I want to point out one word to you. You see that word in Colossians 1.24 where he says that Paul says, I'm filling up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his church, his body. That word affliction is the exact same word for tribulation. It's the same word that, Pete, that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 24 saying you're going to go through the tribulation, the great tribulation. It's the same word that John used saying these are the robes of the people who persevered through the great tribulation. Paul is saying that he is filling up in his flesh what is lacking in the tribulations of Christ for the sake of his church, his body, which is the church. The point is that you see that Jesus is... The, the lamb that was slain, the lamb of God, and just as Jesus suffered persecutions and afflictions, His people are going to go through sufferings and persecutions and afflictions, especially His apostles. And so Paul is writing this understanding that Jesus predicted a bunch of hardships that He's going to face, that the apostles are going to face. And so when it speaks about that 
that there are tribulations lacking, okay, that Paul's filling up. He's not talking about the sufferings of the cross. He's not talking, he's not saying that Jesus' blood is not enough and that we have to fill that, fill that up somehow. He's speaking about as a soldier in the army of Christ. Just, let me give you this metaphor again. The Savior, His blood is sufficient, complete, and all that. There's nothing lacking in the death of Jesus Christ. But the people who follow Christ, the people who come after Christ, there will be some filling up of afflictions that they're suffering on behalf of Christ. And you see that language in the book of Revelation chapter 6 where the martyrs under the altar who, from the Old Testament, they're saying, Lord, how long till you vindicate our blood? And God says, wait, we got to fill it up some more. There's going to be some more martyrs who die for the faith until we destroy Jerusalem. That's a basic summary of Revelation. So God lets some more affliction and tribulation happen. And then finally, there's a, there's a vindication against the city of Jerusalem. So that's what Paul is talking about. He is, talk, he is personalizing the predictions of tribulation that Jesus gave in His ministry to His own life and to His own ministry. That's what He means by He's filling up these tribulations that are, that are lacking. Then it moves to the second word I want to point out, and that's the word fulfill or the word complete. Look at verse 25. In verse 25, Colossians 1.25, He says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to complete the Word of God. Some translations say fulfill, but also in this context, it more likely means complete. And literally, it's the Word of God. Well, as a minister, as a pastor here in Centerville, Mississippi, it's not my, not my job to complete the Word of God because the Word of God is already complete. My job is to pour it out. To pour it out and say, look, this is the Word of God. This is the, the church's job today is to pour out the Word of God to the world, okay? To all the world. To all Christians to pour out the Word of God. It was Paul's job to complete it in this sense of writing the Bible. You see the, the illustration between Moses and, and Paul. Moses, he goes through his times of hardship and he wants to complete the task of writing the Scripture up to that point of history and give it to the next generation so they can conquer the promised land. Paul's in the same situation. He knows. Jesus said, I'm going to show you what you're going to suffer for my, for my name's sake. That's what he, he understood. He's going to be put to death. He's going to go through sufferings. And, but that's okay because Jesus conquered death. He's going to be resur resurrected. He's also going to ascend up into heaven. But his goal at this time in life or before he dies, he wants to complete writing the Bible. He wants to complete the Scripture so that the, basically the book of Scripture can be given to that generation and then they can go and take the Scripture and pour it out to the world and give it to the world and bring in all the nations, all believers from all nations into the Lord's family. And this is where he goes into the next stage he talks about the word mystery. Let me talk about the word mystery now. Look at verse 26 to 28. So the mystery which was hidden, he's making known the mystery, from ages and generations, and now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known the riches of his glory of the mystery 
among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let me summarize and, and use the Old Testament to explain the mystery. The mystery is something that in the Old Testament, you're not ready for it now. You've got to wait for it. Later, it'll be revealed to you. You have the same point in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, you're not ready for this tree. Don't touch it. Wait for it. Then it'll be given to you. Well, of course, they don't wait for it. And then they get kicked out. And they put some angels there to guard the way to the tree. And, you know, there's a mystery. What is that tree for? What, what can, can we grab for it? Can we break through the cherubim and get it? Well, God sets up another type of Garden of Eden with the tabernacle and the temple. And He says, oh, there's a holy place in here. You've got to wait for it. You can't get in here. Only your priest can come in here. You can't even come in here and look at it. Just, you know, kill an animal, take some blood. And He can symbolize you coming in here, but you've got to wait for it. You can't see the Ark of the Covenant. You can't see what's inside. So you think about this as a good commentary on the Old Testament. There's something in this room we can't see. There's beauty, there's glory, there's God's presence, and we can't see it. It's, it's concealed from us. What is, what is behind us? What does all this symbolism mean? Well, finally, in the New Testament, the mystery comes out. And that is... Jesus Christ comes from the throne of heaven and takes us up into the throne room. Jesus Christ brings all believers from all nations and brings them into the place of glory. So when Paul talks about this mystery that was hidden, he's basically summarizing ancient Judaism. He's summarizing the Old Testament. He's summarizing the way things were concealed for so long in the Old Testament. Now God has exploded His love to the nations so that people can believe in Jesus and join the family of God. And now it's revealed among the Gentiles. The word Gentiles really means nations. Everybody from every nation of the world is invited to come and, and have common ground in the gospel, in the church, because we're all positioned in the heaven of heavens. And so Paul is insisted upon this mission as much as he can to preach, but also as much as he can also to complete in the Word of God, to give the, the church the written documents that is the rule of faith and practice that we have. Now let me boil this down to some, uh, some contrasts and comparisons and various applications. First of all, you see a contrast here between what Paul is saying and how it applies to us. There's things that the apostles went through that we will not go through. The apostles went through the great tribulation that Jesus Christ predicted. We're going to go through a lot of little tribulations. So you can see that they went through all that so the church can go through all the little tribulations throughout the rest of history and the rest of future. So there's a little, con little contrast there. Also another contrast, like I said earlier, Paul completed the Word of God. You as Christians are to pour out the Word of God and fill your life, fill your family, fill the world with the Word of God. So there's your, your contrast you can contemplate. Also, let me point out one comparison that we can continue with. Paul understands that his sufferings, his tribulations, are for the sake of the church, for the sake of other people. Just like Jesus Christ, His suffering was for our sake. Well, you can apply that personally. Whenever you go through 
tribulations or sufferings, when you go through hardships, when you go through death itself, to some degree it is for the sake of other people. Think of that. You're given a role model. You're given a, an example of the follow. You're given a, your children and your grandchildren to say, that's how daddy made it through that. I can make it through that. In that sense, if establishing a role model and having that perseverance all the way to the end, in that sense, you can say, yeah, this is for the sake of others. God's going to use my sufferings and my persecution and uh, my perseverance through persecution, whatever it may be. God can use all of that and how you handle it and how you manage it and how you trust in Christ. You can have generations after you say, yeah, we can do it also. In that sense, you can do it for the sake of others. Well, let's be encouraged with this passage of Scripture what God has accomplished in history and how we have the written Word of God completed and in our hands. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your Word. We give you thanks for the fellowship of the saints. We give you thanks, Lord, that you have blessed us with such Great history, Lord, beginning all the way back to the creation, all the way we are now, so that we can be mature, we can be complete in you because we have the complete written Word of God. We pray, Father, that you'll give the church the ability to pour out your Word throughout the nations so that Christ will continue to trample his enemies under his feet and convert them into the kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.